you heard how it went down. Now time to sum it all up. This is Bucks Talk, presented by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. Recap everything you need to know about this game right now. Now here's your host, your analyst, and your MC for the evening. Make some noise! Justin Garcia. Yeah! Oh, euphoria of Monday night where you got Chris Middleton back, you got Giannis back, you were full strength for the first time in nearly 300 days. Quickly faded when Bobby Portis limped off the floor in the fourth quarter. We would learn shortly after Bobby Portis has an MCL sprain, and he is going to miss at least the next two weeks. Just when you take one step forward, it's another step backward, it seems like, for this Bucks team. And that brings you to today, where you have this circle. There's a matchup between the last two players to win the NBA MVP award in Giannis and Nikola Jokic, only not so fast. As you saw the injury report, you may have, I should say, seen the injury report yesterday and saw Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and a handful of other Nuggets players listed as questionable. If uh, history is any indication of things, as we have learned with this Bucks team, questionable almost always means out, and that was indeed the case as you caught a shorthanded Nuggets team, and with the way the Bucks played in terms of protecting the basketball, it's a good thing this Nuggets team was shorthanded because you're able to pick up your second straight win and now head to Indianapolis to take on a Pacers team that is suddenly slipping in the standings, but this is a big opportunity for the Bucks. 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank. Talk and text line, Old National Bank. Get old. That's the number to join us tonight on Bucks Talk as this was game number two for Chris Middleton, at least game number 2.0, we should say, since rejoining the team from that knee issue. And I think it did seem more and more good from Chris Middleton. Ten points, another game where he tallied just 15 minutes. But as Bud put it, you started to see some of those glimpses of everything you missed with Chris Middleton. There was a big sequence that Chris Middleton was an especially big part of late in that first half and another stretch of strong play from Joe Ingles. So it's not as though it was all negatives in tonight's game, but still not the cleanest of wins for this Bucks team. When we come back, we'll get to your thoughts on this victory by the Bucks. Some of the good that I did see, and it has to do with some of the groupings, especially with no Bobby Portis. We got a couple of peeks behind the curtain from Bud prior to the game of how this team might move forward in those minutes. Bobby Portis typically occupied. You saw a little bit of that tonight on the floor, and I liked what I saw with one specific group. We'll get into it after this on Bucks Talk. Chris Middleton fires away. Three-pointer bullseye. Chris Middleton knocking down another one from outside. What goes is his second three-pointer of the night. He's got 10 now here in this first half. He finished with 10. All of those came in the first half. But, you know, Bud said after the game, you saw more glimpses and flashes of Chris Middleton getting there and, and showing you, oh, yeah, I remember when Chris Middleton would do this. I remember what he brings to the table here. And you saw a lot of that in the first half. You didn't really have to uh, to lean on him in the fourth quarter, certainly. But the Bucks did a, a relatively good job in that fourth quarter 
of not playing with their food too much. That there was a couple of moments where it started to get tenuous. You really didn't want this thing to get below three possessions. You didn't want it to get down to two possessions. You certainly didn't want this thing to get down to a one-possession game because in terms of the talent on the floor, the Bucks should have wiped the floor with the Denver Nuggets. Before the game, though, Nuggets head coach Michael Malone talked about his team being shorthanded and what they would need to do, what he was looking for from his team, and the two words he uttered the most were fight and compete. That Look, we don't have Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray or Kentavious Caldwell-Pope type sitting on the bench that we can just insert into the game with those guys out, with Michael Porter Jr. out. So it means... Other guys are going to get the opportunity for extended minutes. they got to fight, and we just have to compete tonight. When we walk off the floor, we should be proud of the effort we gave and that we played Denver Nuggets basketball. And that's exactly what the Nuggets did from the onset. They forced turnovers. They were very physical and aggressive. And, you know, to go back to what Coach Budenholzer said after the game, Giannis attacked all throughout the game. The numbers may not have indicated it, And it wasn't necessarily one of those masterpiece games from Giannis, but he still got to 33 points. And this is really the larger conversation we've had for going on three years now of really not taking Giannis for granted because in terms of the eyeball test, you would not look at this game tonight and say, man, this is one of Giannis' best games of the year. But yet here he is with a double-double with 33 points, getting to the free throw line 20-plus times in the second half. Yes, turnovers were a problem, but also, and it's it's not excusing the high number of turnovers, but keep in mind offensive fouls do count as turnovers, so that was a component to it. But Giannis just quietly gets to 30 points. He attacked all throughout the game. He didn't get the calls in the first half, and, and that's really the closest we heard Bud come to criticizing the way this game was called. Of, I didn't think Giannis was rewarded for his aggressive play in the first half, and in the second half, he was rewarded. He got those whistles, and it resulted in his team getting some consistent offense by way of those free throws. But this was a Nuggets team with those big names off the floor. You frankly could not lose this game because as you watched, you could see there was just nothing offensively for Denver. Aaron Gordon played well. He got to 26 points, and he was really the main guy for most of this game. But outside of that, it was a couple of stretches from Bones Highland where he was really the only initiator on the floor. So this was one of those games, not that the Bucks have needed help defensively, but this was one of those games that you looked at and said, this is going to be good for the defensive rating. This is not a very, very good offensive Denver Nuggets team without Nikola Jokic, without Jamal Murray, without KCP, without MPJ, and really – Just take Nikola Jokic out of the mix, and it changes everything, offensively and defensively, for this Nuggets team. But for the Bucs, I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, the frustration setting in of, man, just when you think you've turned the corner and we're finally going to see a prolonged run of this team being healthy and this team being able to thump their chest and having some of these big matchups on the horizon where you're at full strength. Bobby Portis goes down, and as soon as the game ended, we heard from Coach Budenholzer on Monday. 
We're optimistic that it's nothing major here. Bobby was in good spirits in the locker room. Bobby said he didn't expect it to be anything much. But you just never really know until the following day. And as we learned earlier today, it was confirmed. MCL sprain for uh, Bobby Portis. So he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. That does not mean he's playing in two weeks. And as, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I would take it to mean you're not going to see Bobby Portis for the remainder of this half of the season. The All-Star break is about three weeks away. If you're going to reevaluate Bobby Portis in two weeks, and as long as you're holding up fine, there is no reason to bring Bobby Portis back prior to the All-Star break. So that two weeks really becomes a month that you're able to get Bobby Portis at rest and not eat up too much into the games missed, bring him back in the second half of the season, assuming it's just minor. Because an MCL sprain can be anywhere from a week to two weeks to four weeks to six weeks, as we've seen from Kevin Durant last year and potentially again this season. So I would take this to mean we're not going to see Bobby Portis for the rest of the first half of the season, and that means you got to find some help in the front court. Now, everybody jumps to the what's going on with Serge Ibaka. Does this change Serge Ibaka's standing here with this team? That was a question that was brought up to Coach Bud prior to the game, and it was quickly shot down. No, there is no change. Does this mean there's extended opportunities for Sandro Mamu Kelishvili? We talked about that a little bit on the pregame show. Well, we didn't see it tonight. And if you go back to two years ago, it was getting close to this time in the season, maybe about a month later in the season, where we really started to see it. Just before the Bucks acquired P.J. Tucker is when the Bucks started to experiment a little bit more with playing small. And it really started in the spring, because remember the season started in December that year, so everything was pushed back uh, two months. But it started in the spring, right around the All-Star break, when Pat Connaughton slid into the closing lineup, and it would be Brooke Lopez that would come off the floor. Pat Connaughton was one of your closers. You played him at the four. Giannis moved into the five. And it started in a home game against the Clippers, where we started to see that gradually more and more. You acquired P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker became that guy. Or P.J. Tucker was playing with Pat Connaughton and Giannis and Chris and Drew. Tonight may have been foreshadowing. We did hear Bud say that a little bit prior to the game of, look, guys like PC are going to have this opportunity. And Pat Connaughton was one of those guys tonight, again, in the starting lineup, played 38 minutes, and he was on the floor to close out this game. Pat Connaughton and Wesley Matthews were the two guys that really got the biggest opportunity in terms of minutes. I mean, Wesley Matthews at this point, this is where you need him most. Hasn't been utilized all that much this season. Part of that is the plan to preserve him for the postseason. But as we've seen with Wesley Matthews, he can defend up. And maybe at this state in his career, Wesley Matthews is shifting more towards a guy to defend threes and fours versus a guy to defend twos and threes and even potentially at times ones. So this is a golden opportunity for Wesley Matthews. But I pointed this out a couple of times Within the game, there was one stretch specifically in the second quarter where the Bucks were a plus five in the minutes when we saw this grouping. And as long as Bobby Portis is out, to me, this is the best grouping that the Bucks can throw on the floor for an extended period of time. And just in the state of this league, 
this is going to be the group that allows you to play against most teams, offensively and defensively. Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, and Joe Ingles. We saw that group a couple of times tonight, and overall, that group played pretty well. The more minutes you can get for that group playing together, the better, because that seems like, barring what this team could potentially do leading up to now on February 9th at the trade deadline, that seems like a five-man group you could potentially see quite a bit in the postseason. 855-616-1620 is the old National Bank Talk and text line to join us tonight on Bucks Talk. That five-man group, we'll see if we can dig into some more numbers, but again, in terms of the plus-minus on the floor, they were positive overall for the game, and a lot of that has to do with Pat Connaughton's shooting, but we know Pat can defend up. Joe Ingles played really well tonight as well, and the thing about Joe Ingles that I think we talk about not taking Giannis for granted, I think we overlook Joe Ingles' defense because you look at Joe Ingles and you assume he's old, he's slow, he can't keep up with some of these younger athletic wings and especially players in the backcourt, but that was not the case tonight, especially in those minutes where he was defending Bones Highland. An eight-point win for the Bucks, who get set for the Indiana Pacers and a big four-game homestand starting on Sunday night. Big in terms of a couple of the opponents on the schedule, but also big in terms of some games you absolutely need to win. More after this on Bucks Talk. And knocks it down on a feed from Giannis. That'll go as his fourth assist of the night. And for Joe Ingles, his first three ball of the evening. The record, a second, and a chance to hitting people like a Joe Ingles uh, impactful, I thought, once again tonight, as uh, he gave you five points off the bench. That was the only three that he made. But it was the defense that stood out the most from Joe Ingles, specifically in those stretches when he was lined up with Bones Highland. And, look, the other thing I really like about that five-man group, healthy or not, even if Bobby Portis was available, I still like that group maybe better than any five on this present Bucks roster, any five that you're grouping together because of the versatility. Joe Ingles is essentially your point guard. When he's on the floor, Drew Holiday is your point guard. Chris Middleton can initiate the offense. So right there, you have three guys who can play on or off the ball. We've seen that with Giannis as well. And you have Pat Connaughton, who we've seen more and more. And I do think it's something you've seen improve for Pat as he's returned from injury this season. But Pat's ability to put the ball on the floor, attack the basket, and especially in those sets where they run that inverted pick and roll and Pat Connaughton is the screener. It makes it so difficult to defend Giannis in nights on nights like tonight when Pat Connaughton is knocking down five three-pointers because you either trail and fade back to Pat Connaughton and defend that three or you collapse on Giannis rolling towards the basket. When Pat Connaughton's five of six from outside, neither of those two options is particularly good, and that's what we saw tonight, especially in the second half, as the Bucks just slowly but surely pieced this one together. And again, go to the fourth quarter, the positive to take from the second half, other than Giannis's 21 trips to the free throw line, the other positive was they didn't trade the lead back and forth. The Nuggets were able to tie the game a couple of times, and look, we kind of joked afterwards well, the Bucks won, but in, in some ways it kind of feels like we're talking about a loss here, where it wasn't clean. There were certainly some things to clean up. 
you were never in control of this game per se on a night where you played a Nuggets team without the two-time reigning MVP, without their starting point guard in Jamal Murray, without two high-volume scorers in Michael Porter Jr. and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. You didn't run away with this one. You still won it, but it wasn't pretty. Well, in the fourth quarter, they never surrendered that lead. And that, to me, is one of the positives. Along with what you got in those minutes where the five players on the floor were Giannis, Drew, Chris, Joe Ingles, and Pat Connaughton. 855-616-1620, the Old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank, get old. We head out to the phone lines and uh, catch up with our old pal James on the south side. You kick things off. How's it going, James? Good. Uh, I think the thing that uh, you were talking about and that seemed like it was, like you just said, uh, they picked up in the second half was the amount of um, turnovers in that that the Bucks made, 23 of them tonight, that that uh, really uh, kind of bit them in that and almost uh, lost them the game. But I think that, uh, like you were saying, the minutes and everything else, if they can share that, it's per- it'd be pretty good. But I, I had heard that the Bucks were looking for some players uh, to, to kind of uh, plug into, I guess, uh, Maybe a B.J. Tucker or, or somebody else that's going to be able to light the fire for the second half of the season here. You know, with Bobby Portis is going to be on out for, you know, maybe six to maybe a dozen games or so. And uh, and other, other things so that we can uh, make a drive to to the playoffs there. I don't know. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? And where are we going to get them from or who are we going to trade off this team right now? Uh, do I think they're going to make a trade? Yeah, well, Al, do you think we're gonna, do you think we're going to either make a trade or do you think we're going to uh, pick somebody off with some other team there before the trade uh, deadline? Well, I, I think they're they're definitely going to do something. Um, they have a number of second round picks, and I know people look. We we talked about this the other night that I'm not willing to write off last year's trade that sent Dante DiVincenzo to the Kings and brought you Serge Ibaka. I'm not willing to call that a loss just yet because, look, number one, we don't know what's going to happen with Serge Ibaka, first and foremost, but also uh, you got two second-round picks in that deal. So you lose Dante DiVincenzo, sure, and Dante DiVincenzo could have and would have been playable in that series against the Boston Celtics, but look, Dante DiVincenzo wasn't going to stay here. I think all of that was determined once the Bucks gave that extension to Grayson Allen, and there just wasn't playing time for both. Dante DiVincenzo was ready to move on and, and go elsewhere where he was going to get those opportunities. So he wasn't going to be a part of this team this year regardless. You may get something for Serge Ibaka. Who knows what's going to happen there? He may be a part of a bigger deal. He may be included in a deal with those second-round picks or with something else, but the point being it's not just Serge Ibaka for Dante DiVincenzo straight up. There are other components to it, and it's something that just can keep growing and growing and growing. So we have to wait and see what happens at this trade deadline and with those second-round picks specifically before you can really make any final judgment. But to answer your overall question, I do think the Bucks are going to do something. I don't think it's going to be anything major. And, you know, in terms of what you got in by way of statistical production. It's probably going to be something around like P.J. Tucker because if we just look at the numbers for P.J. Tucker, 
wasn't a huge boost when you look at those raw statistics. Where it was a boost was the versatility that he brought and how he allowed you to play differently. You could play Giannis at the five because he had some protection in the form of P.J. Tucker, who can play the four or the five, and take on some of those more difficult tasks. He spread the floor a little more. He brought some of that intensity, and he just brought a guy along with Drew Holiday that kind of helped put you over the top. So I think it's going to be something in line with that. Now, everybody's pointed to Jay Crowder. Who knows? There's reporting that's out there. The Bucks have a standing offer to Jay Crowder. It's going to get very interesting with the Phoenix Suns because I, I, I do think where there's smoke, there's fire, and it does seem as though everybody is, is assuming it's going to be the Bucks of the Miami Heat that end up with, with Jay Crowder by the trade deadline. Everybody in terms of NBA intel and talking heads. So where that gets interesting is the news we talked about earlier today that the sale of the Phoenix Suns is expected to be finalized prior to February 9th. So Matt Ishbia is going to take control of the Phoenix Suns before the trade deadline. Does that mean he's going to be more apt to find a deal there? Does that mean he's going to say, well, wait, let's sort this out and, and let's hang on to him? Who knows? But that is something that you have to monitor there. Um, what that standing off for the Bucks have, who knows? You can speculate. We've done this all throughout the season. I'm sure you can dig up articles and think pieces and speculation from a number of Bucks fans of, okay, this plus this plus this equals Jay Crowder. This contract plus this contract plus this contract. you got to be within 120%. Jay Crowder makes about 10%. 10.8, I think it is, million dollars. So you got to trade off about $9.8 million to bring him back. You can look up and down the roster at this team and, and see, here's a guy that makes this much, here's a guy that makes this much. Grayson Allen gets kicked around a lot. George Hill gets kicked around a lot. you got to make the salaries work. I have long said I wouldn't necessarily do a Jay Crowder for Grayson Allen deal just because of the value that Grayson Allen had with this team, especially early in the season when they weren't healthy, when they didn't have a whole lot of depth in the backcourt, when you didn't have a whole lot of guys that could shoot number one and at the rate that Grayson Allen was, guys that could handle the basketball. But, look, these are all things that have started to turn, and it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. We saw this team get healthy, and then Bobby Portis goes down three quarters later. But... It's a little bit different of an outlook now that you've got Pat Connaughton back. Not that Pat Connaughton is a point guard or a ball handler per se, but you got Pat Connaughton back. You've got Chris Middleton back, and he is a guy that is a big wing that can handle the basketball and be your distributor and facilitator. you got Drew Holiday. Joe Ingles, as we've continued to say, is basically a backup point guard. So slowly but surely... You have that depth in terms of some larger wings, not enough, but some larger wings, and guys that can comfortably handle the basketball. I mean, if you had Joe Ingles in that series against the Celtics last year, you may be in the conference finals. So the stance has softened a little bit now that I'm advocating to trade Grayson Allen, but with how Joe Ingles has relatively quickly come back from that ACL and starting to look as if he is... 100% and has the chemistry with this team. It it suddenly changes things in terms of, well, if we do this, it leaves us pretty vulnerable and thin. So 
it could be a number of things. Who knows what this alleged standing offer is, but again, it's it's got to be close to matching in terms of salary, and that's why you'll continue to hear names like Grayson Allen and or George Hill start to surface. Serge Ibaka, you got to remember, uh, as much as people would say, well, why don't you trade Serge Ibaka for, uh, for uh, Jay Crowder? And boom, he can go to another team that has aspirations to get back to the playoffs, though it hasn't been great so far in Phoenix, and a team that could use some more size, and you get Jay Crowder. Well, Serge Ibaka's on a veteran's minimum deal. That's the do other thing feel, that's going to make it interesting. Do you feel – Yeah. Hello? Do you feel that if we don't make a trade – the, and and we go into the playoff. We go in the run, and and we go into the playoffs again. That we might get uh, fall short again, uh, because we we didn't think that we could uh, do the Crowder or do uh, some other type of trade or pick somebody else up that could uh, help our team uh, that we overlooked. You know we, that we felt that we were, you know, good enough at the time. Do I, do I think the what the, that they'll they'll have enough? That they'll have enough. That, in other words, that they'll go and maybe not make a trade or may may not take uh, Crowder up, but all of a sudden go the rest of the season and go into the playoffs. You know, go into, get into the playoffs and all of a sudden say that maybe they should have made a trade or maybe should have picked somebody up that could have uh, helped them a little bit more. That all of a sudden, you know, you know thing like you just said, things happen different ways. You know, whether it's injuries or or t- minutes or whatever it is or you know, a variety of different things that happen during the season, you know, type of thing that plays into all this. Well, uh, thanks for the call, James. And, look, it, it's the million-dollar question. I'll say this. A lot of this depends on what else happens in the Eastern Conference, at the trade deadline and with buyouts. Because if you can stay healthy, and that is a big if, as we saw last year, it's not a given, but if you can stay healthy, if nobody makes any moves – you, the Celtics, the Nets, the Sixers, I would still stack this group up against any of those and say, look, we're healthy. We weren't healthy last year against the Celtics. Joe Ingles changes things. We got Chris Middleton this time around. I like our chances, but that's a big if, not just for the Bucks, for any team. And all of this ultimately depends on what those other teams do because as much as we pick apart, we see this team every single game. And, and you can say, look, this is their weakness. They need this, this, and this. You don't have that same perspective on the Sixers, on the Brooklyn Nets. You're just watching them a handful of times. They all have just as many holes, if not more, or weak spots than the Bucks do. So health is ultimately the biggest determination here. And, look, you want as much depth as you can. You want as many players that are 16 versus 82. That was the big boost that P.J. Tucker brought and that Drew Holiday brought when you looked at Holiday versus Eric Bledsoe. You need all that, but, but you need luck. And by that, I mean you need health. 855-616-1620. The Old National Bank talk and text line more after this on Bucks Talk. Passes out top to Ingles. Now to Middleton. Middleton at the free throw line. Chris still has his dribble. Lobs up top for Giannis. He will rock the rim with a two-hand jam on the alley-oop. Cash money to the freak up top. It's a 7-0 run for the Bucks. They lead 78-70 with their largest lead of the game now. Yeah, we saw that uh, once in Detroit as well as uh, it's just going on a decade now of chemistry that that duo has together. So that's the biggest reason why it's good to have Chris back is that built-in, that baked-in chemistry that he has with Giannis, but also his ability to create and hit shots in the half court. It is great to have 
Chris Middleton back. And speaking of, it's time to check in on our sub of the game. The bench mob was hungry, and someone ate. Who was it? Tonight's sub of the game is... Chris looking back and forth. Bucks trailing 23-21 with 1.22 to go here in the first. Three-pointer on the way. Middleton splashes that one through. One of two three-pointers that he hits in this game. Ten points in 15 minutes off the bench. So back-to-back games where Chris has played 15 minutes. And uh, this is kind of the the customary thing we've seen under Bud. You come back, everybody but Giannis, I should say. You come back, you slowly integrate yourself off the bench and slowly start to ramp the minutes up. 15 minutes against the Pistons, 15 minutes tonight. Curious to see what that minute load will be on Friday. And I suppose we should preface by I'm curious to see the injury report tomorrow. I am legitimately curious to see if Grayson Allen will be included on that because it did appear, I know he finished the game, it did appear as though he rolled his ankle uh, in the second half here in a tough collision. And same to be said for Giannis, who was just hammered throughout this game. Got to the free throw line 21 times in the second half, but uh, took a beating. So you can't rule that one out either. But back to the overall theme here. Chris Middleton, our sub of the game, 10 points in his 15 minutes of work, just having 22 back on the floor. A great, great sight for this Bucks team. Uh, one other big game in the Eastern Conference tonight. Did the result help or hurt the Bucks? We'll explain after this on Bucks Talk. Here's a three-pointer from Pat Connaughton. Top of the arc. He has looked sharp tonight, knocking down his fourth three of the night in his many tries. He's sitting now with 14 points, and the Bucs go ahead by four. Big night from Pat Connaughton. 19 points, 12 rebounds in the starting lineup once again as Chris Middleton comes back from injury. But Pat Connaughton big down the stretch. Giannis big in the second half. Drew Holiday carrying the offense in the early going, and it wasn't pretty, but it's still a win for the Bucks, who get past the Denver Nuggets tonight, 107-99, and now improve to 31-17 and on the season. So I mentioned uh, this, this rivalry week here. First, well, first, starting with rivalry week, it's something the NBA coined, This is the second year in a row where they've said, hey, let's do a rivalry week. It's not rivalries across the board, which is where you kind of lose me when you look at, well, here's the games that we're going to spotlight for rivalry week. You've got the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets, right? Okay, I'm with you there. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors. Okay, you got me there from their playoff series last year. How about the Washington Wizards and the Houston Rockets? How about the Spurs and the Lakers or the Kings and the Raptors? So still needs a little bit of work for rivalry week if we're really just pointed to five games throughout the course of the week. But one of those is a rivalry, the Nets and the Sixers. Granted, it's a short rivalry, and it really dates back to last this time of year, nearly 12 years or 12 months ago to the day when James Harden was traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Philadelphia 76ers. Those two teams played tonight. 
And the 76ers won. Now, it was a very, very interesting game, to say the least. Three-point game, very, very late. Nets needed a three. They went for a two. Nets are still playing without Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving had another big statistical game with 30 points and uh, double figures in assists. But I mentioned, were the results good or bad for the Bucs? I think the results are good. That the 76ers won this game and now are still a half game in front of the Bucs. I think it's good because you don't want a crowded field all the way down to the end of things. You want to start to see some separation, especially if you're the Bucs, as we mentioned, get healthy, start to win some of these games, and you got teams like the Charlotte Hornets on the schedule coming up, like the Indiana Pacers, frankly, on the road on Friday. These are games, if you're going to be having Giannis and Chris and Drew on the floor, you got to win these games. So you got to start to get some separation, and one other way to do it is not only winning these games – but having other teams do the dirty work for you. If the Brooklyn Nets won tonight, they're 30 and 17. The Sixers are 30 and 17. And all of a sudden you got those two teams at 30 and 17. You're 31 and 17. The East just continues to be packed up. So sooner or later, you want one of these teams. And I know it's not big separation just yet, but you want one of these teams to start to fall off the pace. So it's one less team you have to look over your shoulder for. For that reason, Philadelphia winning tonight and giving the Bucks a game and a half of separation between themselves and the fourth seed right now, that's a good thing because as we've continued to point out in this show, you don't want to finish, I think, any lower than second. We saw last year how important it was, and you can point to, well, who really knows? The Eastern Conference is tough. We've seen less and less importance put on the regular season. You may be the best team in the league and finish fourth. Maybe. I don't buy it. Not that you need to have home court throughout the playoffs, but to me, when you look at this East with the Celtics, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Nets, the Cavs are going to be a tough out. If the Heat get healthy, if the Heat get a guy like Jay Crowder, they're going to be a tough out. You want to have as many home court games as you can. So that's why I think... Finishing no lower than second is important because that 2-3 matchup, right now it would be you and the Sixers. It could be you and the Nets. It could be you and the Celtics. You want home court advantage in that series. We'll take a look at the rest of the games on the schedule and preview what's up next for the Bucks Friday night in Indianapolis as they take on the Pacers. We'll preview that matchup as we wrap things up after this on Bucks Talk. This is Bucks Talk. Ain't no way they can stop me now. Eight-point win here inside of Pfizer Forum for the Bucks. It wasn't pretty, but it's the 31st win of the season. And look, I got to tell you, on a night like tonight, when you see the groove that the Denver Nuggets played, I'm sure it triggered some memories. of. I remember some lineups like this. I remember when this was basically 82 games a season. And when you see Ish Smith on the floor starting to heat up, scoring eight points in the first half, and you think, I, I remember Ish Smith in a Bucks uniform. 31st win of the season when we're in January, it is still nothing to take for granted. We're not that far removed from a Bucks team that consistently struggled to get to 40 wins. So, Absolutely remarkable what we've seen in terms of the turnaround for the franchise to perennially 
be one of the best teams in their conference. And again, 31-17, and 17, a half game back of the 76ers for the second-best record in the Eastern Conference. And three and a half games back of the Boston Celtics, which we'll point it out again, Boston's had a pretty relatively lucky year in terms of their health. You can point to Robert Williams, that's fair, but the Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Philadelphia 76ers have all had relatively good health so far this season. And when you look at the rest of the playoff teams in uh, the Eastern Conference, that just has not been the case. Teams like the Bucks, the Heat, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, the games they have lost, man games lost to injury, is absolutely off the charts. But those three teams, three of the top four seeds in the East, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Brooklyn Nets, it's been a different story for them. The Bucks right now with the eighth most man games lost to injury this season in the NBA. Not too far behind the New Orleans Pelicans, who again you will see on Sunday. The Memphis Grizzlies, not too far behind them. But the Miami Heat and the Cleveland Cavaliers, the only other teams in the Eastern Conference, but in the playoff picture overall, that have had that many injuries, as decimated by injuries as the Bucks have been, sure, the Bucks, when at full strength, are in all likelihood a better team than both of those teams. But you look at where the Bucks are and where those other two teams are, for the Bucks to, to have been just as injured as those two teams this season, and still 31 wins for the first 48 games, that to me is the most encouraging part of all of this. We were so elated to get Chris Middleton back on the floor. Mentioned it was nearly 280 days since the team was at full strength. It was nearly 40 days since Chris Middleton had last played. You held down the fort more than well to continue to be hovering near the top of the Eastern Conference. Those numbers, the man games lost to injury, one would have to assume. It's not going to be massive, but they're going to start to turn a little bit for teams like the Celtics, like the Sixers, like the Nets. And I know the Sixers have dealt with injuries. You had Tyrese Maxey and James Harden out at the same time. The Nets are currently going through it with Kevin Durant still out. The Bucks are continuing to go through it now with Bobby Portis added to the mix. But slowly but surely, that worm is going to turn. And when it does turn, does that propel the Bucks to the top of the Eastern Conference? Who knows? There's still a lot to settle that. The trade deadline is going to be one of those things. The buyout market is going to be one of those things. But as we continue to point to, player health is going to be the biggest one of those teams because we said at the start of the year, the Bucks and the Celtics are in a class by themselves. I still do believe that. The Bucks and the Celtics are in the A class. But maybe the Nets and the 76ers have shown their B-plus or A-minus. And the gap may not be quite as wide as we think. It's still the Bucks and the Celtics, though. And really, it boils down to health. Who can remain the healthiest throughout the playoffs? Friday night, the Bucks go to Indianapolis to take on the Pacers. 6 o'clock tip. 5.30 is when our pregame coverage begins. And as always, join us afterwards for Bucks Talk as soon as the game ends. My thanks to Tommy Wirtz and Chris Larson for producing the show. Talk to you Friday night with more Bucks Talk.